Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. How did a disorganized mob break into what's supposed to be one of the most secure buildings in the world? What's about to happen? What? I'm pressed. No, you can't come in. Nobody can come in. We followed a group of Trump supporters as they walked into the U.S. Capitol and police officers stood and watched. What's that plan? I have no idea. We got all day. Tonight, tomorrow. Who's It all started as a peaceful rally around 10 a.m. I love President Trump. He asked us to come out and support him, and I was glad to do that. Stop the steal! Stop the steal! We will never give up. We will never concede. And we're going to the Capitol. And the crowd responded to his request. Hey, I'll fight with you. I'll fight next to you. I'll keep going. I love you all for being just having the balls to come here. And so they marched. Good day, Austin, Texas. Live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Do Texas gun laws allow you to shoot someone in the back? I want to talk about that this hour. And why were police so unprepared for the Trump rally in D.C.? 
Also, we have Craig Cassidy, Austin Police Association president. Ken Cassidy, Austin Police Association, on the phone to talk to, about violent crime increasing in Austin. Going to talk about that and a whole bunch more. You know, everyone's asking me, you know, what are my thoughts on the Capitol riot? You know, and first, you know, let's talk about law enforcement. Well, you know, damned if you do and damned if you don't. Now, what would the media have said if the Capitol Police would have shot and killed about a thousand protesters trying to force their way into the Capitol? That wouldn't look good on the five o'clock news. A hundred people shot by police while trying to exercise their First Amendment right? You know, it's like, you know, what are police supposed to do? Do they, you know, are they are they supposed to, you know, shoot to kill, shoot to stop? Or should they try to use force or daily force? You know, they don't. Which way do we go? Do we go left or go right? Uh, well, you know, they would have lost their ever-loving mind if that would have happened on the 5 o'clock news. They would have demanded stricter gun laws is what would have happened. So let's keep it real. The police should have been more prepared, and you can expect resignations to happen as the dust settles and the inauguration, you know, happens on January the 20th. Also, every one of those idiots that stormed the Capitol will be arrested and charged with felonies, and they will lose their Second Amendment rights forever. You know, while you were literally, you know, and I want to remind people, you know, this protest happened on a Wednesday. The election in Georgia was on Tuesday. We had two Senate elections, two U.S. Senate seats uh, that are held by the Republicans, you know, were up for grabs. And whoever grabbed those two seats, one or two, would take control of the U.S. Senate. So what happened? Democrats took control of the Senate. So now, if you're concerned about your Second Amendment rights, instead of driving past or driving through Georgia to drive to D.C. on Tuesday, you should have stopped in Georgia. Literally. You drove to Washington, D.C. And you drove through the state of Georgia. The day before, which was election day in Georgia, with two, I want to repeat this again, two U.S. Senate seats at stake, you should have stopped and given your uncle daddy, your sister mother, your sister cousin, your boyfriend daddy, a ride to the polls to go vote is what you should have done. Because clearly they didn't vote when you, when you look at the demographics of the state of Georgia. You know, and I'm going to get into my second point. We come back from the break. But, we, you, know, you know, we have, you know, on a show today, we're going to have um, Mr. Cassidy on, on, on the show. And he's with he's the president for the police the Austin Police Association. And I want to talk about, you know, use of force and daily force. I want to talk about, um, before I get into what happened at the Capitol, I want to get into, um, man, violent crime here in Austin because it actually is increasing. And I also want to talk about, you know, how do we get to the point where in our law, can you shoot someone in the back? Can you shoot someone, you know, and under what circumstances can you do that? And then also, you know, uh, what, what is this fear? You know, do you reason believe that you're justified using force or daily force to stop someone? Because do you reason believe? Why is that even written in the law? Do you know where that came from? We're going to talk about the history of the getting into use of force and daily force because we've never even discussed that before. And how do we get, you know, to this point today? We got to go back to the 1600s. Going to talk about that. 
going to talk about so more, so much more. I want to break down, you know, law enforcement. Where did law enforcement begin? How do we get to where we are today? You know, where did law enforcement first start? What year? Was it the 1800s? Was it the 1900s? Was it the 1700s? Was it the 1600s? We're going to talk about that today. I'm going to educate you. I get my history. I learned all of my history from my great-grandparents. I actually had the privilege, I said this once before, to actually sit and talk with my great-grandfather and my great-great-grandfather and talk about, you know, the times and things that have happened during their times. And, you know, man, if you don't get a chance to speak with your grandparents to learn, you know, history, learn, you know, what they experienced and what they saw through their eyes uh, and learn some of the things that have happened in this country and how do we get to where we are today, you're definitely missing out. You know, I, that's why I enjoy spending time with my grandparents uh, during the pandemic, you know, COVID-19, COVID-20, COVID-21, 2021. I hope you get a, an opportunity. I hope you had an opportunity to spend time with your relatives, your grandparents, uh, your great grandparents, you know, uh, before they pass on and learn some of that history because things are being changed in our history books. You know, people are someone is making a, an, an effort to erase some of that information. And I want to say this again. The people that drove from wherever they drove from to the U.S. Capitol, to Washington, D.C., you drove through the state of Georgia. The day before, we had an election in Georgia. Two U.S. Senate seats at stake. Your Second Amendment rights at stake. Who's going to take control of the Senate was at stake. You should have stopped and given your uncle daddy, your sister mother, your sister cousin, your boyfriend daddy, and a ride to polls to go vote. This is Michael Cargill. You are listening to Come and Talk It. Folks, this is Doug Man Jones. <laughs> and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk It. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Austin's Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. Oh! 
right, so do Texas gun laws allow you to shoot someone in the back? Uh, why are police so unprepared for the Trump rally in D.C.? And also, we have Ken Cassidy from Austin Police Association on the phone to talk to us about violent crime increasing in Austin. Ken Cassidy, welcome to come and talk it, sir. Good afternoon, Michael. Thank you for having me on. Yes, sir. They're yelling at me because, you know, I call you Craig. I call you Ken. And, and Craig is your son, right? No, actually, it's uh, my name's Kenneth Craig. So, see, but, um, I, see, I wasn't wrong. <laughs> I thought I was going crazy. Yeah. I was like, I know I've called him Craig before. He hasn't said anything. I've, 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 I've gone by many names and, and uh, uh, nicknames, especially in the police department. But uh, Kenneth or Craig are fine, Michael. Okay, see, thank you. See, that made me feel bad. All right, good. I, I thought we were going to have to change, you know, how we did it on, on the Facebook feed there. All right, so <laughs> so uh, Ken Cassidy, he's the president for the Austin Police Association. And Ken, you know, I want to talk to you about uh, violent crime increasing in Austin because uh, uh, business owners are getting upset. They're upset because uh, they're, you know, things are happening. They're calling the police. The police will come. They will arrest a person. This person will go to jail. You know, we've had a case here and in, in a guy sitting in the studio here where he's called the police. Um, this guy robbed his uh, – actually you know, committed a crime in, in his restaurant where he – guy breaks into his restaurant one time, breaks into his restaurant a second time, breaks into his restaurant a third time. The police come. They arrest this guy, take this guy to jail. This is all on video. And then the guy bails out of jail. He – while he's – well, he bonds out. While he's bonded out. He goes back and, and robs the place again. You know, he burglarized the place again. It's actually burglary. And a fourth time. And then he does it a fifth time. He does it a sixth time. He does it a seventh time. And finally, the judge, I think they actually gave the guy, what, four years probation? You know, finally. And the guy comes to me, you know, to get his handgun license. He comes to me to buy a gun because he's like, okay, what do I do if he comes in an eighth time? You know, and I don't know what to tell this guy. You know, I, I'm, I'm just I don't understand what is happening here in Austin where, you know, we we have someone that's repeatedly committing crimes, repeatedly going back into the system and nothing is being done about it. So what do we do, Ken? Uh, Craig, Michael, I trace this problem back to the activists that came into our community about two years ago. Um, you know, they have done some good, but they have you know been very instrumental in making sure cops are um have their hands tied and then um i'm talking about the austin justice coalition and people like chris harris you know they, they've put a a lot of pressure on our last da and they just got this new da with their help elected and they have run on not prosecuting individuals for those types of offenses and this put our officers in a very bad situation because you look at for the police to protect you and i mean what you just told me is that the Austin Police Department does an absolutely fantastic job of arresting these individuals, but we have a very uh, short-sighted DA right now that uh, does not believe in people that still should be prosecuted because they, quite simply, they need it. And if they're poor or they're homeless or they're in a bad situation and they still, they shouldn't be prosecuted. Um, that's how these individuals think. And it's setting our, our businesses and our police department up for a huge failure. Now, should we reduce the, the, the calls for service uh, that our police officers are, are getting? Uh, to, like things like, I don't know, 
there's a barking dog in the backyard, you know. Sure. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's funny that you bring that up, Michaels. I have a list. I don't have it here in front of me, but uh, that I'm going to be sitting down with uh, city management here in the next few weeks uh, discussing these types of calls, like barking calls. Um, can you please come discipline my child? Uh, can you come force my child to school? Hmm. I mean, there are, there are all kinds of calls that uh, we should not be answering. You know, parents need to be parents and do their job. And, and uh, you know, I've realized there are parents that need help, but it should be someone other than the police department uh, coming with a strong arm in law to force your children into school. Um, I just don't, um, you know, see the need for that anymore. Now, is that, um, it's actually pretty stupid for someone to call the police uh, to to discipline your kid. If you're called the police, you're probably not going to get disciplined. Something else is probably going to happen with that situation. It's probably going to escalate to something else. You know, so you should only call police when it's an absolute emergency, not if you're sitting in McDonald's drive through and because someone didn't make your, you know, didn't give you the enough French fries in your cup or, you know, they missed the French fries or something like that or your burger isn't cooked all the way. That's not the reason to call the police. That's exactly right. If you, you know, if you have uh, items stolen, if you're assaulted, if you are an abused spouse, if you're, you know, aggravated robberies, burglary of a business like you're just talking about. I mean, that, it, it, that, Michael, that's disgusting that that person was able to do that that many times. I mean, that is a failure of our district attorney's office, uh, you know, every day to Sunday. I mean, that is embarrassing. Yeah, and I posted the story on, on, our, on, our, on, our, on, I think, my personal page, and it got to the point where people were, you know, some people were criticizing the business owner. They're saying, well, you know what, you know, ah, it's okay, he has insurance, but you know what? I asked the guy about that. I said, okay, what about your, your, your business insurance? You know, he, he said, well, each time this guy broke in, it didn't meet the deductible. So each time it cost money for him to make the repairs, but it wasn't enough to cover the deductible, you know, and, and for the insurance company to pay for it. So each time he had to pay for it where all these amount of times this guy's broken into the place over, you know, seven times, it's yeah. cost over $10,000, about $15,000. I mean, the, you know, I mean – with the dereliction of the DA's office, the city of Austin and the DA's office, you know, in my opinion, should cover that cost. They, they've caused this with their radical ideas and their lack of prosecution. And, you know, criminal trespass, you know, misdemeanor type offenses are one thing. But if you're burglarizing a business and stealing people's uh, property, that's a totally different thing. And, and those types of individuals need to be locked up in jail until they can learn not to steal people's stuff. Now, someone's going to someone's sitting out there and they're going to say, well, Michael, you know, is fifteen thousand dollars enough? You know, is that enough to take someone's life? You know, well, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But what I do know is this, that if I, you know, my blood and sweat, you know, everything, you know, the things that I've scraped together, you know, with my family and and from what I've made, you know, to build a business and for someone to come and destroy it and just take advantage of that and steal from me, you know, that actually hurts. That's hurting my family. You know, so. You know, it, it, it needs to stop. And so whether it's using force or deadly force, I'm going to tell you what the law says. The law says this. If someone – and when it comes to you protecting yourself as a person, this is as a person, not property, but as a person. If someone unlawfully enters or unlawfully removes you from your home, your vehicle, your place of business, you can use force or deadly force to stop them. And when I'm going to come back to that. We're talking about the U.S. Capitol. I want to relate what happened on Wednesday, Wednesday uh, to what would have happened if that was at the Texas Capitol. You know, what would you have done at the Texas Capitol if 
a group of people went to the Capitol and decided to barge into the Capitol, barge into your office, and you worked in the Capitol in your office and try to remove you, kick you out of your office. Well, you know what? The Texas law says that you can use force or daily force to stop them. Now, back to what we're talking about for this business owner when it comes to burglary. If someone, any portion of that body, that person's body sticks to that building or a habitation, you know, or even a vehicle for that matter, you can use force to data force to stop them. It doesn't matter if it's daytime or nighttime. Now, I can't give a legal advice. I can only tell you what the Texas law says. Now, what about what about trying to recover your property, trying to retrieve your property? I want to talk about that. Do you know that in the Texas law, and let's got to go back to the history of this, the Texas law it says that, you know, if someone you know, breaks into your home, they commit burglary, and they're running away. Immediately after in fresh pursuit, you can use force, deadly force, to stop them to recover that property if it cannot be recovered by any other means. I want to talk about that a little later as well. You know, but, um, but you know, with the Austin Police Association, um, so, uh, Ken, I want you to tell me, you know, let's let's go back to, and I, and I've, and I've went out around the world here, but I want to go back to, because I'm getting messages here on social media, uh, law enforcement and talking about law enforcement and some people feel there's a mentality of law enforcement, how they deal with the public. You know, is there an issue with Austin? I think Austin's done pretty good. I like how the current police chief is actually, he's actually gone out and he's actually fired quite a few people. And I like that. He's actually fired, I think, bad officers and gotten rid of bad officers. And I know as a police association, your job is to actually defend all those officers. They're part of your association. But what are some of your thoughts you know, around that? You know, Michael, my thoughts on that is my job and the association's job is not to defend the officers. It's to make sure that their rights are retained and that they have due process. Uh, officers are fired on a fairly frequent basis. You never hear about because, you know, you know the association doesn't say anything. Um, and, you know, that some cases end up in arbitration, some don't. But when you hear us out there, especially on use of force cases where we know the way officers have been taught in the academy and either they get indicted or, um, you know, prosecuted in a way. That's when you see us, you know, come out openly in the media and challenge the chief and the DA because we know how we've been trained and, and we've had cases where people have been indicted, where the commander of the police academy has come out and said, listen, I'm sorry, we trained the person to do that. Uh, this is not a good prosecution. So our, our job is to make sure that officers' rights are retained and that they have due process through the internal affairs process. And, uh, you know, I think we tried, we, we believe we did a good job at it. But, uh, you know, there there is no room in any police department for bad cops. All right, we're talking with no Ken one. Cassidy. He's the president for the Austin Police Association. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Coley on Noir, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. You got where is where is Kamala? Where is Kamala? Talking about ISIS like KKK. We got this migrant camera. You know what? We have thousands of people on the other side of the board. You people can't get to work. Our economy is going to take an, an absolute tank because you guys refuse to choose America, America over your stupid political party. Well, I am so tired of it. You have, you try to make it with these wide angle lenses and you, you have to, you try to make it to your echo chambers, have these large followings. You, you got 40 people. Showing All right. Up so, you, you know, I'm up. I get upset about a lot of different things. I get upset. You know, but I, I turn that energy around and I do it in a positive way. You know what I do? I go to the Capitol and I try to get some things done by testifying, talking to my elected officials, you know, getting them to either sponsor a bill or kill a bill, you know, get rid of it. You know, that's how I do it. I work within the system. I'm not trying to tear the system down, I'm not trying to get arrested or anything like that. I'm trying to I'm not trying to catch a charge. You know, that's not how you bring about change. That's not going to happen. And then what happened? She was shot and killed after the giving this speech in her vehicle driving to the Capitol. All right. So we're we're on the phone. We're talking with uh, Ken Cassidy. He's the president for the Austin Police Association. Uh, Ken, I want to ask you, um, is is there a problem? Is, is, is it their problem with the way law enforcement treat blacks and whites? You know, that's a good question. I, you know, I think in certain departments around the country, that's been it's been proven. Um, you know, you have the uh, Ferguson, Missouri, where the, it turned out that uh, that was a legitimate use of force used there. Uh, and that was Obama's Justice Department that investigated that. But what they did find out is that they were abusing and ticketing uh, the black citizens there in Ferguson at, a, at a, just an astronomical rate. Um, and, I mean, there there are issues around the nation. I would never deny it. Are there racist cops? Sure there are. There's probably racist gun owners. There's probably race. I mean, there's just, you you know, you just have to weed out people the best you can. But I am proud because the Justice Department has been here twice in the last 20 years since I've been at APD, the last 25 years. And they've always come away with a few suggestions, but they've always come away saying you have a fantastic police department and you guys do a good job and you're the model agency that people should follow. So I'm proud to be an Austin police officer and and, uh, work for APD, but uh, I would never deny that around the nation there are problems. And then, you know, in, in South Austin, you know, where my business is located, I know every time I call, they're there and I try to do what I can. Each each interaction I have with them, I try to correct some of the things that I think I did wrong the previous time. 
You know, if I didn't yes. if I didn't give them enough information, I didn't give them, you know, the exact description or license plate or make and model the vehicle or description of the person, the color yeah. pants, shoes, shirts, you know, a shirt that they're wearing. And if I didn't give them that information, I try to correct that the next time because that that only that information helps law enforcement. And what I didn't know, I found out, you know, a few months ago is that you can actually text 911. And if you, yeah. you know, but if you, you got to give them the information, you got to give them the address, you know, what is going on, the address and the description of the person that's the problem. You know, you got to give them the information, they need the correct information, not any, not all the extra stuff that goes along with it. Absolutely. You know, a lot of these situations, I want to go back to the question you just asked me, Michael, you know, officers get dispatched to so many of these calls where things go awry. And the one common denominator that you see, no matter what race people are, if they get shot, but if they don't cooperate, you know, they, you know, they go back into their vehicle when they're supposed to have a gun or they, they, there's, you know, they stick their hand down their pants when they're supposed to have their hands in the air and, you know, they could be reaching for a gun. I mean, there's so many things that happen if citizens and, well, usually we're talking about citizens that are not that good at folks. We're talking about criminals most of the time. Um, if they would just cooperate and, and take their complaints to the court system or com complained of our internal affairs, they do a very thorough job, believe me. Um, but, you know, taking your disputes out with the police officers on the streets is just not the place to do it. And pe if people would just cooperate, I think we would have many, many, many fewer officer-involved shootings. And I'm not blaming it at all. You know, are there bad shootings? Sure there are. I would never, I would never say that they're not. Um, but uh, the common denominator that I see in a lot of these officer-involved shootings is people's lack of cooperation. All right. All right. And man, I tell you what. Thank you, Ken Cassidy. I appreciate you coming on the show and laying all this out for us. Uh, man, we have a, a an extra a new city council member uh, at city council now. Uh, do you think anything's going to change from you know what's coming out of Austin City Council? I, I really do. I'm, I have hope. I think you'll see a lot of the same stuff. But I think people have been scared, you know, the, um, around the nation, Chief Acevedo, a lot of people in the, the National Democratic Party, you know, they've laid a lot of blame at the city of Austin's feet, including our mayor and Greg Kassar for the defunding of the police. You know, they, you know, a lot of people that I've spoken with that they would not have, you know, uh, had an attack on police for the last eight months. You know, maybe the maybe the House of Rep or the uh, House in Texas would have turned blue. But, uh, you know, I think uh, the talk of defunding and the way people saw the police being treated for the last year scared the hell out of a lot of people. Now, what, do you, what, do you, people, what do you think we should do with the homeless situation here in Austin? You know, I think San Diego, I've pushed the San Diego model, but no one wants to listen to me, Michael. I mean, I'm just another talking head cop. That's how a lot of people in the community and especially city council see me. But I think San Diego's done a good job with their temporary housing. You know, City of Austin only wants to do permanent housing. But I, you know, I've been around for a long time, and I've worked with a lot of homeless people, and I know lots of officers that still work daily with homeless people. And a big problem is, you know, getting these people into temporary housing, which are not temporary, but permanent housing, which the, I think the city does a pretty good job, but they miss their community. Or they want to continue to do drugs, or they want to abuse alcohol, or they've got serious mental issues, and they just don't make it, and then they end up back out on the street. And I think, you know, we have no really temporary shelters in Austin other than people camping out on uh, 
Cesar Chavez and under bridges, you know, there is no temporary housing uh, for our, our, our homeless individuals. And San Diego has done a really good job of creating temporary housing to house these individuals until they can get into uh, permanent housing. I think what we do in Austin is extremely inhumane to homeless people. I was out working last night at two o'clock in the morning and watching, you know, the cold rain come down on hundreds of homeless people over in the Cesar Chavez area and no place for them to go temporarily to get out of the rain. I mean, it was just sad and you try to help these people, but it's, you know, there's only so much you can do, but, uh, you know, uh, I would like to see a combination of temporary housing and look no further than Alan Graham out in, in uh, East Austin. Uh, he does a fantastic job with housing individuals. He doesn't like to work with the city on these projects because they get in his way with the red tape and he does a fantastic job on his own. But uh, I think a combination of temporary housing and permanent housing would be the best way to go. But uh, that's just my opinion. And that's after working with homeless people for over 25 years. Yeah, you're right. Because now, you know, look at where we are today. You know, we, it's snowing out. We're in a snow advisory right now. Uh, very cold temperatures. And, you know, we've we we've lured literally lured the homeless yeah. here to Austin and we're, yeah. we're not doing anything to help them, you know, to get yeah. out of the situation where they are. And our mayor, you know, mayor Adler will, you know, he talks about so many different things. He talks about, you know, what's going on in DC he talks about, you know, all these different things here, but he doesn't talk about and doesn't take care of the things that he actually can control, you know, things that That's he right. can actually take care of, you know, why don't you take care of your problem, Mayor Adler? Your problem is the Austin homeless situation. Here it is snowing, and I guarantee you he's sitting he's sitting by a fireplace somewhere enjoying himself, you know, not not a care in the world that you just lured, you know, hundreds of homeless people here to Austin to the city limits, and you're not taking care of them. They're getting dumped on with snow freezing. I was outside for two minutes, and my my fingers were cold. I can't imagine being out there all night long. This is ridiculous. It's sad. Yeah, I mean – it's very common for homeless people to call 911 in this type of weather and be soaking wet and shaking and almost hypothermic and begging you to put them in jail. And, I mean, it is just, uh, it's just heartbreaking when you see something like that. Wow. I tell you what, you know, thank you, uh, Ken Cassidy. Appreciate you coming on and talking to us and, and talking about some of these topics. Um, and hopefully, you know, we can, I can help you down the road. We can help each other. Uh, and I want to thank you to the Austin Police Association. I want to thank you to the Austin Police Department because you guys are getting better. You're getting stronger, doing great things. And I hope we can have another another uh, class and have more officers out on the street. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. And I look forward to working with you again at the legislature this year. That's coming up in a couple of weeks. So I'm sure we'll be seeing each other. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. All right. All right. So that's uh, Ken Cassidy, president for the Austin Police Association. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about, you know, the history, some of the history of law enforcement. How do we get here uh, today where we are? You know, how do we get to the different things that have happened uh, with law enforcement? And what's, you know, I want to talk about the help that I think that we need as a society, as a, as a people. I want to talk about the counseling that I think that we need as a people, you know, to help get through some of the issues that we're experiencing. Because uh, some people are deathly afraid of police officers. Some people are deathly afraid of law enforcement. I'm going to tell you why that's so. Why are they afraid of law enforcement? You know, why are certain law enforcement officers afraid of, of the people? I'm going to tell you about that and, and that history and how we got here today. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. 
Peace. This is Maj Toure. You're listening to Come and Talk at Radio with Michael Cargill. Talk 13-7, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back, and we're going to talk about, man, we've got to talk about the history of all this stuff. Do Texas gun laws allow you to shoot someone in the back? Why were the police so unprepared for the Trump rally in D.C.? What do you think, Zach? Why were they so unprepared? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was a complete cluster. What was going on? And uh, Yeah, people were climbing up the walls, breaking in through windows. Same thing that happened in Portland. Right? What, what happened in Portland? Same thing. Well, Portland, now, to me, they uh, they took over the police department. <laughs> Kicked the police out of the police department in Portland. It uh, took over the the building there. Several police departments, right? Several yeah, little substations. Then, uh, they took over that entire Capitol Hill area yeah, in Seattle. A little, whole little area called Chad or Chaz or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Or Chop. Chop? Is it they, called Chop? Yeah. They kept changing the name. Yeah. yeah. This is just, you know, and then and it's happened in a lot of other different cities, too. It happened in Baltimore, you know. And so it's happened all around the country. But for some reason today, they're upset, you know, about this incident, which I understand. It is the capital. Uh, it does have some history behind it. But, you know, we need to get upset about all these little cases, all, you know, whoever, you know, does this, uh, no matter what city or town they're in. Capital, that never should have done. They should have been a lot more prepared. Absolutely. What I was seeing, what I what I'm seeing from a lot of people, their response is, Oh, why weren't more people killed? Mm. Basically, thinking that um, that's going to be people. The police the went easy on them. Correct. Right. Uh huh. That they uh, they were went easy on because they are Trump supporters, basically. And and it wouldn't it wouldn't play over well if you shot a, a hundred people or you know two hundred three hundred people you know live on TV. That wouldn't play well. At all, some people cheer for that. <laughs> yeah, but, and so yeah, that's you know for that that's go not going to well happen. With us. Yeah, it's not it's not going to go well. You know, people wouldn't like that, and they'll call for gun control. They'll call for all kinds of control <laughs> if that was to happen. You know, we're li- here. We are live watching stuff live, and you you know you literally start shooting people. You know, they people had a hissy fit about the one the female that was shot. You know, my goodness, she In was warned neck. several times. Don't come, you know, don't stop. Don't come through the door. Stop. This is it. This is your last spot. This is your last warning. What does she do? She climbs through, gets popped, gets dropped. Rightfully so. Mm-hmm. And so, and they're having a hissy fit about that. Yeah. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about the history here. You know, I believe that law enforcement, you know, I do believe law enforcement treat blacks differently from whites. Yes, absolutely. And if you think otherwise, you're probably being very naive and you're dismissing history. And let's go let's go back a little bit. Let's talk about the 1700s and talk about how law enforcement was actually started. You know, I want to talk about slave patrols, you know, traditionally known as patrollers or patty rollers uh, by enslaved persons of African descent. Basically, what was happening was organized groups of armed white men who monitored and enforced discipline upon black slaves in the U.S. southern states. Basically, the slave patrol's function was to police enslaved persons, especially those who escaped or were viewed as defiant. They also formed river patrols to prevent escape by boat. 
Now, slave patrols were first established in South Carolina in 1704, and the idea spread throughout the colonies. The whole purpose was to get a group of people together to go and retrieve runaway slaves. That was the start, and that was the beginning, and it grew from there, and now today we have our modern law enforcement. Now, but Michael, but Michael, I know someone's going to say, how was law enforcement used to discriminate against blacks? Well, you know, let's go. Let's talk about sundown towns. Have you ever heard of that term, sundown t- towns? Well, sundown towns are all white communities, neighborhoods, or counties that excluded blacks or other minorities through the use of discriminatory laws, harassment, and threats or use of violence. The name derives from the posted and verbal warnings issued by, uh, I'm sorry, issued to blacks that allow, allow, they might be allowed to work or travel in a community during the daytime, basically. So they must leave the sundown, leave by sundown, and then they can only travel, you know, in a community during the daytime. And they must, you know, just basically leave. So although the term most often refers to the forced exclusion of blacks, the history of sundown towns also includes prohibitions against Jews, Native Americans, Chinese, Japanese, and other minority groups. Although it is difficult to make an accurate count, historians estimate that Uh, There were up to 10,000 sundown towns in the United States between 1890 and 1960, mostly in the Midwest and West. So they began to proliferate during the Great Migration starting in about 1910, when large numbers of African-Americans left the South to escape racism and poverty. As blacks began to migrate to other regions of the country, Many predominantly white communities actively discouraged them from settling there. So this means that, you know, to announce and enforce racial restrictions varied across the country, what they had to do was they use law enforcement, use police officers to police this, you know, this behavior. Now, in the most blatant form, signs were posted at the city limits. One in Alex, Arkansas, in the 1930s, for instance, read N-I-G-G-R-E-R, Don't let the sun go down on you and Alex. Others stated, whites only after dark. Many sundown towns use discriminatory housing covenants to ensure no non-white person would be allowed to purchase or rent a home. Now, in the 1940s, Edmond, Oklahoma promoted itself on postcards with the slogan that said, a good place to live, no Negroes. The town of Mena, Arkansas, advertised its many charms and said, cool summers, Mild winters, no blizzards, no Negroes. In other cases, the policy was enforced through less formal norms and sanctions. Businesses that served black customers or hired black employees would be boycotted by the white townspeople, ensuring that blacks had few, if any, job opportunities in those communities. Now, racial exclusion in sundown towns was also achieved with violence. African-Americans who lingered in sundown towns even during the daytime experienced harassment, threats, arrests, and beatings. It was not uncommon for black motorists passing through these communities to be followed by police or local residents to the city limits. In extreme cases, hostility toward African-Americans resulted in extrajudicial killing. Now, the lynching of two black teenagers in Marion, Indiana, in 1930, for instance, resulted in the town's 200 black residents moving away and never to return. 
The rise of sundown towns made it difficult and dangerous for blacks to travel long distances by car. So in 1930, for instance, uh, 44 of the 89 counties along the famed Route 66, remember that, Route 66, from Chicago to Los Angeles, featured no motels or restaurants and prohibited blacks from entering after dark. In response, Victor H. Green, a postal worker from Harlem, he compiled the Negro Motorist Green Book, a guide to accommodations that serve black travelers. The guide was published from 1936 to 1966, and at its height of popularity was used by two million people. Historians have found that most sundown towns deliberately hid the means by which they became and remain all white. Now, apart from oral histories, there are often few archival records that describe precisely you know, how sundown towns excluded blacks. And then the laws and policies that enforce racial exclusion have largely disappeared. But de facto sundown towns exist into the 1980s, and some may still be in evidence today. Now, we look at you know the situation of the capital, and you know I'm telling you so you know they uh, we need we got to look at the problem that we have, uh, and I, I'm looking at this like kind of like this. We allowed you know someone to go into the capital. You know, we, we allowed people access to, you know, classified documents that were on the Capitol, whether it's the speaker's desk or, you know, in her office or, you know, the, 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 you know, the head of the Senate in, in, in that office. Um, we may have also given someone, you know, our enemies from other entities, other countries, access to this building to even plant stuff, bugs or whatever inside the building. This is a serious security uh, breach here. This is something that never should have happened, never should have gotten to that point. Um, a lot of people need to lose their job. Not just one person should resign. Multiple people need to resign because it, it got to the point where no one knew who was in charge. Everyone's calling for assistance. Everyone's calling for help. I didn't know who was in charge, who's in charge of the building. Um, you know, we need we need a National Guard. You know, there's this going on. We need this. And no one knew what to do in a situation like this. And, you know, and that's that's pretty sad. Uh, my third point is, you know. Here we are. We spend seventy hundred. What is it? Seven hundred and fifty billion for defense, and they can't even protect the U.S. Capitol. Seven hundred and fifty billion dollars. You know, I wonder. You know, how many classified documents were stolen that day? I just, you know, just wonder. I hope you know. And 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 I hear there. You know, someone had a bomb planted. You know, there were some bombs in a vehicle outside the Capitol that they uh, they uh, came across. So you know, I mean, what are your thoughts about all that, uh, Zach? Well, I'm sure a lot of that $750 billion that's spent is, uh, you know, a lot of that's allocated to R&D for stuff like kinetic energy weapons, uh, microwave weapons, and a lot of stuff that uh, you can't really use on the American citizenry. But, yeah, that's that's a whole lot of money, and they probably should be equipped to at least barricade the doors and windows better let's go to home depot get some two by fours right (laughs) (laughs) it's best we can do right (laughs) all right all right we come back from the break i want to talk about some uh, news that's going on around the country you know what's happening this week i want to talk about that church shooting because we didn't get a chance to talk about that you need to you know need to talk about retention you know retaining your firearm got to talk you got to practice you know a lot of people are calling for constitutional carry to pass that's great. That's fine and dandy. I'd support it 100%.
but you got to know what your laws are. You got to know use of force and daily force. You have to, you know, you have to practice with your firearm. You know, I tell you, can't tell you how many people we come across who are so not proficient with their firearm when they come to class. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talking. Hey, this is AWR Hawkins, Bright Park News, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, so Earl, what's his name? Earl. Earl? Earl wanted to know, can I shoot someone in the back? Earl James. Earl James. He's, he wants to know, can I shoot someone in the back? All right, so let's talk about use of force and daily force. Let's talk about protection of property. Do you know that if someone breaks into your home, you know, well, let's go back a little bit. Let's talk about you. You know, if someone tries, if someone shoots you and they're running away, there's nothing you can do. You know, they're, they're running away. You got to let them go. If someone rapes someone and they're running away, if you can't catch them, you can't shoot them. There's nothing you can do. You can't use deadly force. So you can't shoot them in the back? No, you, okay, cannot, so you if, cannot. If I just back up to you <laughs> so that I can rape or rob you, uh-huh. am then, I good? Then I can use force, deadly force to stop you. In that situation. But if you shoot me in the back, that's not going to look good for you. Not going to look good. It's not uh-huh. good. We'll see you in court. See the grand jury, yeah. So it's gonna it's gonna look yeah. So it it, it depends on you. Know, what do you reasonably believe? And that's what the law says. Do you reasonably believe? You know, and and that goes all. You know, that's that's what people get upset with law enforcement about and police officers because they're saying, well, police officers say that they're you know they're in fear of losing their life, and that's why they use force or daily force. That's why they shoot people because they're in fear of losing their life. Um, but the law does say, do you reasonably believe? So there's that belief in there. It's all about belief and about feelings. Do you believe this person is committing, for example, if it's you, if they're committing aggravated kidnapping, murder, sexual assault, aggravated sexual assault, robbery, aggravated robbery. So if you reason believe that they're doing that, then you can use force, daily force to stop them. But when it comes to you protecting your property, so let's say we're, we're doing property now. So let's say, man, and the, I'm going to read you what the law says. The law says to prevent the other who is fleeing immediately after from committing burglary, robbery, aggravated robbery, theft during the nighttime from escaping with the property. And you reason believe that the land or property cannot be protected or recovered by any other means or the use of force other than daily force to protect or recover the land or property would expose the actor or another to substantial risk of death or serious bodily injury. You can use force or daily force to stop that person. So let's say. Zach, let's say we, you know, we go home, you know, I go home uh, today and let's say all of a sudden I see someone coming out of my house, my front door, and they're running down the street with, uh, you know, they got my dog in one hand, you know, they got, <laughs> they got, uh, um, man, they got that ring that I got from my, my, my great grandfather in that other hand, they're running down the street and I can see they have my, my property. I can't recover any of those things. Uh, I can't recover them by any other means. I can use force, daily force, to stop that person immediately after in fresh pursuit to get my property back. Immediately after, they're still within my sights. Not a year later, not two years later, not O.J. Simpson, immediately, <laughs> immediately after in fresh pursuit. They're still within my sights. So that means you know, the law says, hey, that gives me, you know, that says I can shoot this person in the back to get my property back immediately after in fresh pursuit. That's the only chance, the only time you can actually do that. No other time can you do that. And and that is when you go back to that shooting that we we're talking about in Georgia, in it. Uh, 
outside of Atlanta there where the police officer stopped this guy who was uh, asleep at the drive-thru at the Wendy's Mm -hmm. in the drive-thru. They got him out, did a field sobriety test, you know, had this guy pull over, did a field sobriety, figured out he was drunk to go to put him in handcuffs. Uh, This guy, you know, kissed their butt. He, bam, he beats him up, boom, and he takes off running. But before he runs, he grabs their taser. He just robbed them. He he robbed them. That's right. They are justified using force, dead force, to stop him to get that taser back. Is there any difference uh, when you are a law enforcement officer than a civilian? Does the law enforcement officer have different responsibilities or uh, qualifications? Yeah, like qualified immunity? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they so, do have that right so and that's a big one <laughs> so yeah they do have some things that you know and i tell people when you come to class we've got to remember that this you know we're talking about in class we're talking about a license to carry handgun course we're talking about a license to carry handgun we're not talking about you being a police officer we're not talking about you being law enforcement this is not about you being like i always say like a one-armed security team training clear entire building it's about your personal protection and protecting your family this weekend this guy wanted to know you know can i can i hold someone you know hold someone at bay you know can i can i keep them and and you know hold them until law enforcement gets there i say yeah if they're willing to stay there <laughs> so what do you what do you gonna do if they run away you can't shoot them you know so you, you just have to let them go so you know what do you do and if you you injure that person you know they're trying to get away you injure them they can probably sue you so you're looking at you know you, you got to be careful you're not police officers you're not law enforcement there's a lot there's a lot to think about when it comes to using force deadly force that's why you got to get Texas and U.S. Law Shield. <laughs> and you got to know the law. And know the law. Come to class. You know, and let's ask those hard questions. Let's talk about different shootings and different scenarios. Uh, we're going to have a, a former district attorney on the show here in a couple of weeks or so. And we're going to talk about some other shootings and, and, and get it from the assistant DA and you know, what his thoughts are uh, on how some things have played out and, and why things happen the way they are. And, you know, as a business owner, you know, why – you know, why do you only give this person, you know, let this person bond out? They break into my business again. You know, why you only give them probation, you know, for doing it six, you know, break into a business like four or five times, you know, the same business. You only give them probation six or seven times. Uh, so we're going to, you know, ask those hard questions. You know, what's going on? What goes on behind the scenes with the district attorney? You know, very curious about that. So uh, do you, and, and, and as a business owner, as a person who's been robbed or, or you know, a homeowner, uh, do you follow that case in court? You got to go to court. You got to talk to the got to you got to be there in court when that case is there, so you can talk to the judge and be present when that stuff is happening. Because if you're not, then you know they're going to totally forget about you. You're not going to have a voice. What do you think? You're right. Yeah, you have to, you know, do what you can as a citizen, right? Yeah, that's right. I want to talk about um, uh, GOP. Uh, Representative Thomas Massey, he said on Friday that he and several other members of Congress felt relieved that they were carrying firearms when a mob of rioters overpowered police and stormed the Capitol in a siege that claimed the lives of now six people. Because now there's a second Capitol police officer that has died now because of their injuries of what happened at the Capitol. The Kentucky Republicans' remark followed a recent debate about whether lawmakers should be allowed to carry guns in the historic building. Well, you know what? I have mixed feelings about that because if you can allow lawmakers to carry guns in that building, then you should allow the people to carry a gun in that building, just like we do at the Texas State Capitol. So if we're going to allow lawmakers to carry inside the U.S. Capitol, then we should allow the citizens, you know, I have a license. 
I should be allowed to carry in the U.S. Capitol as well. Well, I mean, isn't that really the end goal for the elite to have the guns and the armed security and the people to not have guns and a means to protect themselves? And so it's it's a very thin line. Got to be careful about that. Yeah, I just saw that uh, Bill Gates is putting bids out to try and find a private jet operator. Mm. And this is like a week before his climate change book comes out. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so he wants to fly in the private jet but no one while else. he tells us to go ride our bike. You know, Nice, nice. I got a biking ride. So it's more <laughs> rules for thee, but not for me. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to ask. Any more questions about that? All right. So the next member who argues uh, congressman that congressman shouldn't be allowed to carry firearms at work needs to be laughed out of the Capitol, according to what uh, uh, Congressman Massey had to say. Now, several of us, and this is uh, Representative Massey, he says, several of us were glad to be armed while barricaded for hours in our offices with other staff, he added. The freshman GOP congresswoman, Lauren Bopert, from Colorado scored a win last month when she fought House leadership to preserve a 1967 rule that allows lawmakers to be armed for self-defense. Now, this new congresswoman, uh, her uh, vocal advocate for the Second Amendment rights, was ridiculed when she released a video of herself explaining why she would wear a loaded gun on the job. Now, members of Congress are allowed to store firearms in their offices and transport them in Washington, D.C., as long as they are not loaded. They are not allowed to carry them into the chamber. Now, dozens of Democrats called for the 1967 rule to be overturned, claiming in a letter to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi that firearms create needless risk for members of Congress, their staff and members of the Capitol Police and visitors to the Capitol grounds. But Bopart won after submitting her own petition to Pelosi with the signatures of 82 colleagues and the new rules included to nuts to uh, to such Democrat requested ban. Now, just days before the siege, Massey and Bopart announced they were creating the Second Amendment caucus to fight for gun rights. Now, over in, God, where is this? Uh, this happened in Texas. This is in Texas. So this, uh, a Starville Methodist Church pastor was shot dead by a suspect who took refuge in his church while avoiding arrest. Now, this happened in Texas. The incident took place on a Sunday, last Sunday, morning at 9 a.m. before the services had started. Smith County Sheriff Larry Smith said that the authorities were pursuing the suspect overnight before the pastor discovered him inside the church's bathroom. Uh, the fugitive has stolen the church's bank bag when Pastor Mark McWilliams, 62, accompanied by his wife and two congregants, discovered him. Now, the deceased pastor ordered the fugitive to stop. When he lunged onto the pastor, the pastor, he grabbed his the pastor's firearm, and started firing. Now, it's, you know, it's great that we, you know, we're all carrying firearms, you know, but we can't allow, you cannot allow someone to take your gun from you and use it against you. You got to practice weapons retention. You have to, you know, if you're going to pull a gun out, uh, then you need to plan on pulling that trigger. If not, then don't display it and don't pull it out. Because, uh, you know, pulling it out and telling someone, all right, stop, man, stop. Okay, I said stop. Okay, really? This time I really said stop. You can't do that. If you're going to pull it out, use it. Because then that, that's what got him killed. You know, so, And I don't want to blame the victim. I don't want to do victim blaming here. But we have to practice. Can't put yourself in those types of situations. And, and this guy's going to pay for what he did, without a doubt. Capital murder charge. 
Exactly. And in Texas, he's probably going to get the chair. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Yo, what's going on, guys? It's Chad Jones here, and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we got some breaking news uh, coming out of uh, what happened this week at the Capitol, and that's uh, Colin Powell, the former Secretary of State and also Chairman of Joint Chief Staff, says he is no longer, he no longer considers himself a member of the Republican Party. Now, I'm not really surprised by this because uh, uh, Colin Powell actually spoke at the Democratic National Convention this year, uh, last year, August 18, 2020. So I'm not really surprised by that. So I don't know. I hope the media doesn't make a big deal about it. Uh, he was already you know, kind of upset and distanced himself. He said he's not part of anybody's party at all. Uh, but he said he doesn't consider himself a Republican. Uh, what do you think, Zach? Uh, sounds like he was already making that move if he went to go speak at the DNC last year. Yeah, exa- so he already had plans. So he already, yeah, uh-huh. it's already been in, it's yeah. already in the works. So it's yeah, nothing. Just follow the money, right? <laughs> nothing surprising there, people. Nothing to see here. Just move along. All right. So in a case that sought to put the first dent in Wisconsin's ban on felons possessing guns. The Wisconsin Supreme Court on Thursday rejected a constitutional challenge from a man who became a felon for not paying child support. What do you think about that? You pay child support, they convict you of a felony, you can't own a gun. Oh, wow. Yeah. What does that have to do with you not paying your child support? You protect Wrap yourself. It up. If I can't protect myself, I can't pay no child support. You better have a lot of protection then. <laughs> you know? It pays. It pays? Uh-huh. Okay. All right. So the ruling upheld the conviction of a of Levon Roundtree, who had argued the law is unconstitutional in his case because his underlying felony conviction was for a nonviolent offense more than 10 years before he was found uh, with a gun convicted admit, um, convicted and sent to prison. Right. So, But the majority in the 5-2 decision said that uh, the law banning all felons from possessing guns forever is substantially related to the important government objectives of public safety and reducing gun violence. Now, Roundtree, who's 52 years old, of Milwaukee, argued the law should be subject to what is called strict scrutiny. That is, is it narrowly tailored to advance a compelling government interest? Now, the majority noted that even recent U.S. Supreme Court cases seen as strengthening Second Amendment rights say that some limitations, including bans on felons having guns, are presumptively lawful. Now, legislature did not, in Wisconsin State 941.292, create a hierarchy of felonies, and neither will this court. Now, the, the majority cites research that found nonviolent offenders are more likely to commit new crimes, and that in Wisconsin, nearly a quarter of such recidivists in one study committed a violent crime. Now, Justices Rebecca, Rebecca Bradley and Brian Hedgedorn each wrote lengthy dissents under the majority's division of what is good for society. Even if a felon has not exhibited signs of physical violence, it is responsible for the state 
to want to keep firearms out of the hands of those who have shown a willingness to break the law, according to Justice Bradley. Now, it may be reasonable to the majority, but it surely isn't constitutional. Permitting restraints on the first to keep and bear arms that were never contemplated by the framers lends an illuminable quality to the legislative power to regulate a fundamental right, thereby deflating the the primacy of the Constitution and imperiling the liberty of people, according to Justice Bradley. Now, Bradley notes that people convicted of violent misdemeanors like battery don't face the same prohibition against guns as those convicted of nonviolent felonies. Hajdorn agreed that the majority's application of less than strict scrutiny of the felon disposition law, but concluded that state fails to meet even that burden, showing that at best, modest correlation between banning the likes of Roundtree from having guns and preserving public safety. Now, his opinion includes a detailed history of the right to arms, going back to English law, and the relatively recent state and federal statutes to restrict firearms possession by those convicted of an expanding array of felonies. Now, to be sure, felon disposition laws have been on the books for some time, but these laws are the 20th century vintage. They do not date back to the 18th or 19th centuries. The relevant time periods when the Second Amendment was in, you know, conceived uh, as individual constitutional right, according to uh, Judge Hajdorn. Now, in 2003, Roundtree was convicted of multiple counts of failing to pay child support for more than 120 days. In 2015, while executing a search warrant at Roundtree's home, police found a handgun and ammunition under his mattress. He said he had purchased the gun from someone on the street and did not know it had been stolen from Texas. He pleaded pleaded guilty to possessing a firearm as a felon and was sentenced to 18 months in prison, plus 18 months of extended supervision, and then he appealed. Now, let's take a look at uh, here in Texas. Let's bring it back to Texas. Now, Zach, you got to check this one out here. Yeah. All right. So this is State Representative Vicki Goodwin. Now, to give you some history, uh, Representative Vicki Goodwin, um, she was the uh, – we had a – what's his name? Uh, it was running against Vicki Goodwin. Austin police officer. Justin Berry, that's right. How can I? Oh man, Justin's gonna kill me for that one. All right, so Justin Berry, Austin police officer, ran was running against Vicky Goodwin and lost that race. And he he lost the race, I guess the primary that is, um, doing a runoff. And so, no, in the general election, I think it was. We lost that race, and now Vicky Goodwin's now our state rep, uh, state rep for that area. Now she has come out and she's written a bill. All right, so State Rep. Vicki Goodwin, Democrat from Austin, has filed a bill, HB 791, which would make it a Class B misdemeanor to display a firearm while attending or within 500 feet of a public demonstration. So you're walking along, you're walking down the street, or you're driving along, you're driving your car, and all of a sudden, a group of people are on the roadway. Just because you're there and you have a firearm, it, that is a Class B misdemeanor. So if you're sitting having a cup of coffee on a patio on Congress with your gun out. That's right. Then a protest comes by, you, you, instantly you're committing a misdemeanor. Right. right. Yeah, because you're, you're legally caring. You're sitting somewhere. It's like, a, it's like, it's one of those things where there's a school, you know, school activity. All of a sudden you're sitting somewhere and all of a sudden a school-sponsored activity shows up. You're supposed to leave with that firearm. If you don't, 
then you're committing the felony. So it's kind of like that, but it's a class B misdemeanor. If you're sitting around, you're, you're sitting somewhere you have a right to be, and all of a sudden a protest arrives, some people decide they're going to protest a restaurant that you're sitting in, you're supposed to get up and leave. Because if you don't, that's a class B misdemeanor. You have a firearm. But if you get up and leave, aren't you still committing that misdemeanor, or do they give you some kind of grace? I don't know. Let's see. The bill defines a public demonstration as one or more person in a public place. One or more person. One or more. So it, one, one or it more. It could be one person one with person. a sign. <laughs> That's right. One person. One person wow. in a public place who are demonstrating, picketing, speech making, marching, holding a vigil, or in, holding a vigil, or engaging in any other similar conduct that involves the communication or expression of views or grievance. A Class B misdemeanor comes with a fine of up to $2,000 and up to 180 days in jail or both. And if you're Six convicted, months in jail. That's right. If you're convicted of a Class B misdemeanor, you will be you will lose your license for seven years. That's right. Wow. Yeah. Currently in Texas, it is legal to openly carry long guns like rifles and shotguns at public demonstrations without a license and handguns with one. So you can actually have a long gun and be a part of a protest or, you know, you know, have your long gun. That's legal now. But this here would make it a Class B misdemeanor. Eric Scruggs, a board member for Texas Gun Sense, boo, says he supports the bill. Now, he said firearms at protests gather and gatherings create a very hazardous situation on the streets. It makes it very difficult for police to control and maintain safety. Now, according to uh, Ed Scruggs, uh, he said that, uh, that the presence of guns at protests can frighten people and hamper public discussion. Um, I don't think we have that problem in Texas State Capitol, do we? And we have a lot of heat discussions there. Am I right? All right. So meanwhile, Emily Taylor, a lawyer for Texas, Texas and U.S. Law Shield, said the bill carries with it too harsh of a penalty and is written overly broadly. Public demonstration, they're defining as one or more persons essentially doing something, expressing their views in public, according to Emily Taylor. Yeah, She's, one or more persons. One or more. That is ridiculous. So one person holding a sign, you can't even cross that intersection. Huh? That's right. That's right. You can't even be on the next block, probably 500 feet. You know? Shall not pass. Mm -hmm. You got it. She also said that Texans do not have an appetite for more stringent gun restrictions. Of course, we never want to chill the First Amendment, but we can't chill the Second Amendment either, according to Emily Taylor. The bill is one of more than 70 gun-related bills filed already. State lawmakers will meet in Austin on Tuesday for the first day of the legislative session. So I hope to see you at the Texas State Capitol. Lots of bad bills this year. Lots of bad, more bad bills this year than any year in the Texas yep. state history. More anti-gun bills, I should say. Get to the Capitol. Get to the Capitol. I tell you, you know, instead of people driving through Georgia, driving past Georgia, they should have stopped in Georgia. Like I said before, you should have stopped there and you should have grabbed your uncle, daddy, your sister, mother, your sister, cousin, your boyfriend, daddy, and taken him to the poll to go vote. As always. More guns equals less crime. You go out there and you buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.